Well, good morning, church family. Uh, It's great to be here with you in worship. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm your online campus pastor. And it's hard to believe, but here we are in the fourth week of our Advent season. And over the last four weeks, we've been uh, exploring Mary's life in a unique way. We've been looking at her life from the end all the way to that first Christmas. And just a couple of weeks ago, we joined Mary at the foot of the cross when she was standing there watching her son die before her eyes. And on that week that we talked about that, Pastor John shared the story of the day that Mary and Joseph took their eight-day-old son to the temple in accordance with Jewish custom to present him before the Lord. And it was there that Joseph and Mary heard some incredible things about who their son would grow up to be from the prophets Simeon and Anna. And I can imagine that in the days uh, following that trip, that Mary's thoughts often turned to that day when the angel Gabriel appeared before her and her life changed forever. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the only story in uh, our series that actually goes before the birth of Jesus, so that when we come together in just four days, we're gathering around the manger with a full understanding of Mary's story and what it was God called her to do. You know, we're going to see how Mary was called by God's grace to be the mother of the Messiah and how she responded. And one of the things that I just want to make us aware of is that that calling is unique, but also it's a calling that we all share. And so I hope you're ready for some Bible study today. As a quick review, I just wanted to go over a few things with you. First, I want you to keep in mind that Mary was raised in a small uh, town called Nazareth, a working class town, kind of a hole in the wall. And it was a, it was a suburb of the wealthy city of Sepphoris. Sephoris, right there, a little bit north of Nazareth. Now, the roughly 100 uh, inhabitants of Nazareth lived in uh, lived in caves, if you will, that were carved into the limestone hillside. Now, at the time uh, that the angel appeared to Mary, she was 13 or 14 years old. She was a virgin, um, pledged to be betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. Now, 13, 14 is really young, but according to Roman law and Jewish custom, that was the uh, around the normal age for a virgin to be betrothed in that way. Now, again, she was engaged to Joseph when the angel appeared to her. And that's where our story picks up this morning, starting in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, I want you to try something for a moment. Imagine for a moment that you're Mary. Put yourself in her shoes, in her mindset. You grew up uh, hearing about Scripture, the stories of Scripture. You would, uh, we would know them as the Old Testament. And you would know stories of God's angels appearing to God's people. 
you also knew that whenever God's angels appeared to God's people, the person who was visited, their life would change forever. Mary also knew many of these stories, and she never knew an angel to come to a woman. And so all of this was swirling around in her mind. And as if that wasn't enough, what Gabriel actually says to Mary greatly troubles her because she doesn't know how to interpret it. She doesn't know uh, what it means. And so what kind of greeting is it to say, you who are highly favored? Well, let's find out together, shall we? How many of you come from a Catholic background? If you do, you probably have heard of or even prayed the Ave Maria prayer. Uh, You would probably better know it as the Hail Mary prayer. It goes like this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now, what's interesting about this prayer is that it, the first line of the prayer comes from Gabriel's greeting to Mary in this passage that we just read. Hail is essentially uh, hello or greetings. We have the Lord is with you. But did you notice there was one major difference in, uh, in, in the prayer versus the text we read? I want you to jot this down. Instead of greetings, you who are highly favored, we have hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Hail Mary, full of grace. Now, the reason for this difference is that the Greek word could either render as favor or grace. They're both equally valid, depending on the context. Now, the Greek word appears in the New Testament 170 times and is rendered as grace 87 of those times. So, a little over half of the time that word appears, it is translated as grace in our Bible. Now, here's what, why I believe that's important. I believe this image of Mary full of grace is critical to our understanding of what it really means to be called by God. To really understand Mary's call and the way that God calls all of us to live out the gospel life, we need to understand what it means to be full of grace. So church, how was Mary full of grace? I have three examples to share with you this morning. And the first is simply that grace is God's gift to us all. Grace is simply God's gift to all of us. You know, a gift is freely given. It's never given as compensation for something that we've earned. You know, Pastor John has often taught us that the reason we give gifts to our kids at Christmas isn't because they've been good all year. They haven't. In fact, if we're being honest, we haven't been good all year either. The reason that we give gifts to our kids at Christmas is because we love them and we want to see them smile, even though there are times when they make us frantic. And let's be honest, we've made God more than a little frantic at times. We wander, we fail, we can be very unloving. But God's grace is a gift to you no matter what you've done. You know, if you've left that gift, here's the thing I want you to understand, that God's gift is God's grace is a gift to you no matter what you've done. And so today, if you've left that gift up on the mantle, I pray that you would be courageous enough 
bold enough to trust God and to unwrap that gift because that's one of the ways that we become, as God's people, full of grace. Now, another example of how Mary was full of grace is Mary showed grace to others. Mary showed grace to others. You know, grace changes the one who who receives it, and it changes the one who gives it. Those who are most in need of the gift of grace are those who don't deserve it, are are those who, who have done wrong. And that's all of us, by the way, because this is the basic gospel truth. We're giving grace as a free gift, and that grace is to take root in our hearts, bearing good fruit in the world. And as disciples of Jesus, we're called to do something with the grace that we've been given. We don't do it belatedly to earn that grace, because it's a gift. We do it out of gratitude, recognizing all that God has done for us, And we so identify with God that the things that move God's heart begin to move our hearts as well. You see, our faith is rooted in grace, and the only way that we can grow in our faith is to allow grace to take root in our hearts, to shape our character and our actions in the world. We're all called to work in, to to work out the grace that God has worked into us. And so that is one of the other ways that we become full of grace when we show grace to others. Finally, Mary was full of grace because Mary was pregnant with God's grace in human form. Mary was pregnant with God's grace in human form. Think about who Jesus is for us. John 3.16 teaches that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life but have eternal life. That's God's grace for us. And the miracle of Christmas is that grace is a person. The grace of God is a person. And Mary was the bearer of grace embodied, grace incarnate. Mary was literally full of grace. You know, let's just go over it one more time. Mary was full of grace because Grace is God's gift to us all. Mary was full of grace because she showed grace to others. And Mary was full of grace because she was pregnant with God's grace in human form. Now think about this for a moment. Have you received the gift of God's grace? And have you showed grace to others who don't deserve it? I'm willing to bet the answer is probably yes to both of these questions for you. But you probably wouldn't be so quick to say that you've literally been filled with God's grace in human form. Certainly we haven't been in the same way Mary was with a a physical child who is the son of God. But I want you to think about that for a second. Think about this. By faith, are we not filled by the Holy Spirit when we believe and give our lives to Christ? We aren't pregnant in the physical sense, but, but Jesus We become like Jesus in the sense that we are embodying God's grace in the world that is so often lacking in that grace. We become vessels of God's grace here in this world. And the possibilities that come out of such a life are pregnant, full of meaning. Check out what the Apostle John said at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. I love this. He writes, The Word became flesh and lived among us. We saw his glory, such glory as of the one and only Son of the Father, 
Look at this, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through whom? Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, I love that image of receiving grace upon grace out of the fullness of Christ's love. Like Mary, we're all called by grace. We're called by grace, every single one of us. And what are we called by grace to do to become full of that same grace? See, grace, as we talked about before, is God's gift to us all, completely unmerited. And we're all called to share God's grace with others. That's our purpose in the world. And we, not unlike Mary, we're called to be filled with God's presence. She was filled with the physical manifestation of that presence. We are filled by the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. You know, Mary is remarkable for who she was, but really no different than who God has called each and every one of us to be. She had, you know, she, she as we are, called to be vessels of God's love and grace in this world. And Mary would eventually come to understand all of this, but in the moment with the angel standing before her, Mary was disturbed. She was distressed in her spirit. She was troubled because she didn't know exactly what this all meant and what would happen next. So let's, let's continue with our story and see what Gabriel said to Mary as she was still processing all of this. Verse 30 reads, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Gabriel told Mary that she's highly favored, that God is with her, and that she'll give birth to the Son of God who will sit on the throne of David. In other words, Gabriel is saying that Mary will give birth to the Messiah. But I want, what I want you to really pay attention to here is the name given to this child. Gabriel says that the name of this child is Jesus. Do you know what Jesus means? The name Jesus, it means God saves. Jesus means God saves. And suddenly Mary understood that she was being called by God to play a crucial role in the story of salvation and that her life indeed would never be the same. It was like the call stories of old, like Jeremiah or Isaiah, but unlike those stories that felt distant from her lived experience, this was Mary's life. This was actually happening to her. And Mary realized that she would bring the salvation of the world into the world. You know, the interesting thing about names, at least biblically speaking, is that they tend to reveal the character, the identity of the one so named. I remember when I first became a Christian, I looked into the meaning of my own name. You know, I, I never really thought much of myself um, before I realized how much God loved me. You know, at times I still struggle with feelings of inadequacy and 
but my new faith motivated me to live into the identity God had established for me. And I wondered if my name spoke into that identity. And so I found out that the meaning of the name Anthony, which is my given name, the Latin, uh, translates roughly as priceless one or highly praiseworthy. It was as if God was revealing who I really was, contrary to my own feelings and the negativity this world placed upon me, projected on me. I began to see myself as God saw me, and I was free to become who I was always meant to be, who God always called me to be. And that created in me a great deal of joy in my heart. You see, I think the very same thing was happening to Mary in this moment. She realized her calling was a gift of God's grace and that even though her life would become more complicated, even though her life would become harder, she was blessed to serve God in this way. She, she realized that who, what God was calling her to be in this moment was who she was always meant to be. It just felt right. But the only question on Mary's heart at this point was, how would God bring this about? And Here's what Gabriel says to her. In, in verse 34, Mary says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Here Mary essentially wanted to know how God would make the impossible possible. Mary had never been intimate with somebody. This was just not how it worked. And yet Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit would descend on her, and that, listen to this, God's power would what? Overshadow her. That it would overshadow her. And here's one of the most important truths I want us to take away from this message this morning. Because it doesn't just apply to Mary in this instance. It applies to each and every one of us. God's call in our lives, it overshadows us. God's call in our lives overshadows us. That's to say that our lives are not our own to do with as we please. We've been given certain gifts and talents for a specific purpose. As we live into who we're called to be, we witness the truth of the gospel to a skeptical world. Countless believers over the ages have known this to be true. Even King David knew this. Listen to what he wrote in Psalm 139 about the overshadowing presence of God in his life. David wrote, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He does. His hand is on us, and the very breath that we breathe is numbered by God. All the hairs on our head are numbered by God, and the very breath we breathe is a gift of God's grace to us. You see, we're living for something, or rather someone, much larger than ourselves. 
And that's why I believe David was able to return to God after he had sinned so badly. He realized that God's love was so much greater than his sin. He realized that he still had a call. He still had to inhabit that role as the king of Israel. And now a new king was coming into the world, and it was Mary's call. It was Mary's job, not just to give birth to him, but to raise him, to teach him, to protect him, and yes, even to stay with him when everybody else had abandoned him there at the end of his life. And yes, even to let him go when the time was right. That too was part of Mary's call. You know, I can't imagine how painful it was for Mary to stand there at the foot of the cross and to watch Jesus' life ebbing away, the, the, the life of her son ebbing away in front of her eyes, fighting with all of her might to trust God while her spirit despaired. But I think Mary proves right there in that example what it means to be a faithful steward of God's call in our lives. It proves that what we've been given isn't truly ours alone. That if the giver calls that back for some other purpose, then as hard as it is, we're called to release it, trusting in God's love and goodness to us. You see, Mary's entire life had been building up to her calling, to this divine appointment. So too, our lives have been building up to something as well. As random and as hard as our lives can be, God is using all of it to show the grace of God through us to the world around us. That's what it means for God's power to overshadow you. Another way of looking at it, actually, is to look at what John the Baptist said of Jesus at the very beginning of, well, towards the beginning of John's gospel in chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist says this, he must become greater, I must become less. Becoming less is hard for us to understand in a consumeristic society where we're taught from an early age that we become greater by acquiring more and more things. But becoming less doesn't mean thinking less of ourselves or uh, denying ourselves those things that are actually good for us or treating ourselves badly in any way. What it means is thinking of ourselves less, not thinking less of ourselves but thinking of ourselves less, putting aside our selfish wants and desires, putting God first in the things that matter to God. That's what it's about. And that right there is the very definition of humility. Why does God use somebody like Mary? Why does God use any of us, sinful human beings? How can a sinful human being be filled with the grace of God? It's because it's all about that humility, that open posture of trust and hope in a God who's, who is truly with us in our life circumstances, no matter what happens. When we elevate Christ in our hearts, we're doing exactly what God designed us to do, worship God as our beginning and as our end. So this morning, I want you to know something very, very important. You have a call. Every single one of you that I'm speaking to right now. You have a call. You may not know what that looks like yet. You may have been avoiding it because you're afraid of what that might mean. You might be afraid of how that may change your life. You may not know yet 
quite how to respond to your call. As we finish our story of Mary's calling this morning, I want to share with you three steps for how we, as the people of God, can embrace our call in the world. And step one is this. Allow God to use you. Allow God to use you. Listen to what Gabriel says to Mary after Gabriel explains, or uh, rather, listen to what Mary says to Gabriel after Gabriel explains what God is going to do. This is verse 38. I am this Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, I want to be clear. This isn't as easy as it sounds. Many of you know this to be true from your own experience. To a certain extent, we need to make this decision to allow God to use us each and every day that we get out of bed in the morning, constantly reaffirming our call and what God wants to do through us, yielding ourselves to God's grace as instruments of that grace is a constant struggle, but a struggle not without healing and hope and joy. You know, one of the most powerful stories I read this week had to do with that very truth. Uh, many of you have probably heard of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Corey Ten Boom and her family were watchmakers by trade. And uh, during World War II, Corey and her family hid the, uh, many Jews in their home from the Nazis. Now, eventually, Corey and her family were found out, and they were shipped off to different concentration camps. Betsy and Corey ended up in the same concentration camp. Betsy was Corey's sister. And there, they actually brought many of the prisoners to a saving relationship with Jesus. But unfortunately, Betsy was killed. She died there. And Corey, uh, just 12 days later, she was released from the camp, which uh, was due to probably a clerical error because the group of women that were brought in at the same time of Corey were put to death shortly after Corey was released. Years later, Corey was preaching at a Munich church, and at the end of the service, a man, a balding man in an overcoat, walked up to her and stuck out his hand. And he said to her, how good it is that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And Corey just froze, because in that moment she recognized that this man was one of the guards at her concentration camp. That this man was one of the people who tormented her on a daily basis. That this was the same man who, who treated the women so badly at the camp, who even watched them undress and bathe in front of them. This man stood in front of her, offering her his hand. He confessed that he was a guard at the camp, but he had since come to a saving relationship with Jesus. He told her that he knew God had forgiven all of his sins, but he needed to hear it from her as well. And in that moment, Corey realized she couldn't forgive this man. He stood in front of her, his hand extended, but all she could think about was her sister, the sister she had lost, the family that was broken up, the cruelties that she had experienced at that camp. She knew that God had called her to be full of grace and to show grace to everyone, 
but she felt nothing for this man. But then she remembered that forgiveness is not an act of emotion, but an act of the will. And so she prayed a very incredible prayer to God. Listen to this. She prayed to God, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hands. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And in that moment, Corey lifted her hand and she clasped the hand of the former guard in front of her. And something like a shock started at her shoulder and went down her arm into their joined hands. And it was the healing power of God in that moment because she found herself saying, I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. I forgive you. And she realized in that moment that it was not her love for this man, but it was God's love and grace for this man that had moved through her. It was the power of the Holy Spirit in her heart coming out. You see, in one of the hardest moments of Corey's life, she allowed God to use her as a conduit of his grace and love for somebody who didn't deserve it. Like Mary, Corey was full of grace to do what, from a human perspective, seemed utterly impossible. Despite the circumstance, she allowed God to use her and remain true to her calling to embody God's grace in the world around her. And so, church family, step one, again, is allow God to use you. And here's step two. Step two is seek encouragement. We need to seek encouragement. And the reason why is because receiving a call from the Lord can be confusing. We need to process it. And there's nothing better than to go to a brother or sister in the faith who can listen to us and who can talk it through with us. Listen to what Mary does next. Verse, uh, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped in joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You see, Gabriel had told Mary that Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And who better to go to than somebody who was going through the exact same thing that Mary was going through? You know, previously, Elizabeth had been barren. Uh, she was well past the age of bearing children. And Gabriel, the same angel, appeared before her husband Zechariah and told, her that, told him that Elizabeth would bear a son named John. This is John the Baptist, the same John who goes before the Lord, the same John who preached a message of repentance and reconciliation to the Jewish people. You know, Mary would have had to go south from Nazareth. There's Nazareth up there in Galilee. She would have had to go south, either around Samaria, which is right here, or through Samaria in order to reach uh, Judea, the hill country of Judea, which is the same thing as Judah here on the map. Uh, now, the place where uh, many scholars believe that Mary went to visit Elizabeth is called 
Ein Kerem, which is right down there. It's not actually very far from Bethlehem, which is just kind of cut off here on the screen, and Jerusalem up there, which are two places that we visited in this series. Now, when she got there, she barely stepped foot across the threshold when Elizabeth and the baby within her were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, Elizabeth told Mary that she was blessed to bear the Messiah and blessed because she believed God and allowed him to use her. Mary hadn't opened her mouth or said a single word. Elizabeth probably didn't even know why Mary was visiting her. And yet, the minute Mary stepped across that threshold, God gave Mary a huge confirming, confirming sign through Elizabeth. You see, when we've allowed God to use us, God will speak through those around us a word of encouragement. And this is one of the many reasons why we need to be in community with one another, why Christian community is so very important. Because when we don't have community, we miss out on the encouragement we need to truly understand and embrace God's call in our lives. Now, one of the things that we also miss is what, what I'm about to talk about next. We need Christian community or we miss out on God's encouragement and we miss out on what is next. So after you allow God to use you and seek encouragement, the third step to embracing God's call for your life is to reflect and rejoice. We're called to reflect and rejoice. You see, when Elizabeth encouraged Mary, God's presence in Mary's life enlarged itself. God became enlarged in Mary's heart. And Mary was not only reassured, but she was filled with the Holy Spirit of God to sing a song of praise, not unlike the one that Hannah sang in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. This is the song that we know as Mary's Magnificat, which is named after the Latin translation of the first line of text, my soul magnifies the Lord. Check this out in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary reflected on the story of God's people and on, in her own place in that story. That's what Mary was reflecting on in this, in, in this song, this incredible song. She knew God's promises to Abraham and his descendants that were made 2,000 years ago were being fulfilled in her time because Mary knew scripture. She knew who she was in God's story. She named what we all know, that the world the way it is right now is a mess and it yearns for renewal. Those who are in power now will not be in power forever. Those who are hungry right now will not always be hungry. Those who are humble will one day be lifted up as, and, and, and honored 
as those who are full of grace. You see, our God is the God of reversals, and Mary was beginning to understand how privileged we all are to participate in God's renewal of creation. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to do with the lives God has given us. You see, this year, Christmas reminds us that we have reason to hope that the world the way it is will not always be this way. Christmas gives us reason to hope that that the God of reversals is at work in human hearts, turning it all upside down so that everything we once perceived as normal will finally be right side up. Even though Mary is a representative of rebellious Israel and and by and large the, the, the whole sinful human race, She models the promise of God's reversal for humanity and her courageous obedience to the call of God in her life. She's Mary full of grace, carrying within her a child named Jesus, the one whose name means God saves. That God is with us despite our rebellion and the mess of this world is the ultimate sign of God's grace for humanity. Our calling is no different than Mary's calling You and I are called by grace to be full of grace. Allow God to use you every day. Seek encouragement from your church family. Reflect on the way in which God has been working and moving in your life. And rejoice that you get to be a part of God's rescue plan for all of creation. As we gather around the manger in just a few days, I hope you'll know the joy of Christmas even more than you did before. It's God's grace on full display, an impossible love that changes everything and lights the darkness of this year that we've just gone through with the hope of a new day. And you and I, we get to be a part of that. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. God, you are the God of reversals, the God who brings darkness into light, who brings and lights up our world. You are the God who gives us new life, the God who calls us and claims us and calls us your own. God, we put our trust in you this day. Like Mary, Lord, we may be uncertain. We may be afraid to respond to your call. We may be delaying. And yet, Lord, what you reveal to us consistently through Scripture and through the lives of your obedient servants is that when we embrace our call to be God's people in God's world, we are finally made whole in purpose. We're made whole in character. For you have called us, Lord, to embrace you, to embrace the life that is truly life. And Lord, Mary teaches us today that to embrace our call, we're to allow you to use us. We're to seek encouragement. And Lord, we are to trust in you. We're to trust in you with all of our hearts. God, we thank you for the greatest gift that this world has ever given us this gift of your very presence among us in the flesh, setting us free from the power of sin and death. We pray, God, 
that if there's anyone here right now listening to this, that if they have not taken the gift of your grace down from the mantle and opened that present, that they would do so right now and that they would do so with this prayer, God, I know you have made me for yourself. I know that you have saved me through Jesus Christ. I know that you love me with a love that I can barely comprehend. And I know that I've screwed up. I know that I've failed. I know, Lord, that I am a sinful human being. And yet, God, you love me with all your heart. I now receive your grace and your love into my life. And God, I want to allow you to use me so that I can be a witness of your grace and mercy and love and power in this broken and hurting world that yearns for renewal. I want to be a part of your rescue plan as you are rescuing me. Allow me the privilege of being a part of that work for all of creation. So God, we thank you. We praise you. We honor and adore you. And we know that you are with us. And so we pray all of these things with gratitude and great expectation in Jesus' holy and awesome name. And all God's people say, amen.